Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. I'm, I'm really excited. I've simply entitled the talk just for the next uh, 25 to 35 to 85 minutes. We'll see what happens in Jesus' name. But um, uh, I've simply entitled this talk, Becoming Grateful. Say, Becoming Grateful becoming grateful. Man, I'm really um, excited to be in this Thanksgiving season. How many people love Thanksgiving? It's the one time you can just be a glutton and eat whatever you want and just watch as much football as you want. Unless you're a Giants fan, then you, we've given it up. I mean, Jets, y'all won this week. We're, uh, it's over for us. So, okay, relax. We'll get carried away, okay? Um, oh, man. Uh, but uh, we're, we're really excited to go into this Thanksgiving um, season. And, um, and, and kind of uh, generically in churches, when we get into the month of November, uh, sometimes we get into these uh, months where we talk about Thanksgiving. And, and, and because it's November and, and we take a minute to be thankful. And um, I don't know if you're anything uh, like me, but I grew up in a family um, where every single Thanksgiving, my parents, there were six kids. So it was kind of like a madhouse. My parents would um, get us all in the same room. And then we'd just sit around the table. And my mom was the mom who was like, okay, everybody go around and say 32 things you're thankful for, okay? And then give your sibling a hug and the other sibling. Uh, okay, so thankfulness was like not always the funnest thing for me. Uh, but man, uh, how many people know that there's something powerful about being thankful? There's something powerful about saying thank you to Jesus. Um, sometimes it's an act of faith when you say thank you to Jesus. But tonight... I want to talk about something a little bit different. I want to talk about um, not so much thankfulness. I want to talk about gratefulness. Um, but before we dive into that, can I just invite you to bow your heads and let's just pray this evening. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. Father, we love you. Jesus, I love you so much. Holy Spirit, I love how you magnify Jesus in this place. God, I just pray for the next uh, couple minutes, Lord, that every eye would be directed to you. Jesus, we don't need another good sermon. We need a touch from you. We don't need another good song. We need a touch from you. And we thank you that you say when two or more are gathered, you are there. God, so we thank you that tonight we're not just sitting here for a teaching. God, we're sitting here for an encounter. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Becoming grateful. You know, I think sometimes um, at least my perception of gratefulness uh, has been like when, when we decide to be grateful, grateful is kind of like counting your blessings, right? Like I've always thought um, being grateful, um, this, this was my picture of, of being grateful, not even just as a believer, but just as a human being. A lot of times I, if I've been going through things, um, what, what I'll do to get some perspective and what I think gratefulness is, is I'll say, oh, you know what? Um, things might be a little rough right now, but man, it's, it's not as bad as it is for, for the like kids in Africa, or it's not as bad for the people across the world, or somebody always has it worse. And I think sometimes we think that gratefulness um, starts by comparing ourselves to somebody else. Sometimes I think that we think, oh, a grateful heart from God is saying, oh, you know what? Our, our, my problem isn't that bad. But here's the amazing thing about God. God doesn't um, marginalize your issues. You don't have to marginalize those things to be grateful. You don't have to compare your life to somebody else in order to be grateful. In fact, gratefulness is not attached to what we have. But this is how it's different for a believer. Gratefulness is not attached to what we have. Gratefulness is attached to who God is. Gratefulness isn't attached to the promises that we have or the things we might have received. And that's why you don't have to be grateful by comparison. 
You don't have to be grateful um, by how something's happening for somebody else or somebody else because then your gratefulness is always tied to your outside circumstances. And here's what happens. We then go through seasons of life that God is trying to grow us in, but we misinterpret it and we miss the meaning of how gratefulness is an act of faith that's responding to who God is when we don't see it. See, the faith, the premise of faith itself, you're not supposed to be able to see it. There's nothing supernatural about somebody who's grateful when they have everything. That's just called happy. Man, gratefulness is when things maybe don't line up or don't look the same, and it causes you to take, to take a minute and say, no, if it's not good, God's not done yet because God is good, and he is faithful, and if he said it, he will do it. You could give it up for Jesus in church. That's okay. Gratefulness is not attached to what we have, but to who God is. You know, there's a difference between thankfulness and gratefulness. When I, when I first was kind of diving into this message, this was kind of the first thing the Holy Spirit brought to my heart. Um, as I was studying, I, I looked up the, the definition because I think so many times when it comes to um, just people in general, we can sort of affiliate the two because they're so similar. But there is a really big difference. See, the definition of gratefulness is warmly or deeply appreciative of kindness or benefits received. It's actuated by gratitude. But thankfulness is aware and appreciative of a benefit. It's expressive of gratitude. See, thankfulness is expressing gratitude. What does that mean? Thankfulness is what comes out of your mouth, but gratefulness is what is seated in your heart. Thank you, Pastor Scott. See, th- what, what does that mean? You can, it's possible to be thankful without being grateful, but you can never be grateful without being thankful. See, it's possible to just say things, and I think so many times um, when it comes to, to the Christian walk, um, I, I think a lot of times we think, um, and, and it's, always, it's always awesome to act in faith and to speak in faith. I'm not downing any of those things, but I think sometimes we think God is more concerned with our behavior than our heart. I think sometimes we think that we, we might come into church, and if you're anything like me, well, I might say, oh, man, you know what? Uh, I, I need to be more thankful. I need to be more this. And I'll start trying to change who I am from the outside in. And God is saying, hey, I don't want to just change you from the outside in. If, if there's a lack of thankfulness, maybe there is a short-fused problem with the, the, the gratefulness on the inside. See, God wants to pour into you so that you're not coming from a place where you're responding to your circumstance, but you're tapped into the Holy Spirit, a relationship with God where you're flowing out of something deeper. Man, God, it is possible for you to be thankful, genuinely thankful in any circumstance when you're attached to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has a vision that you don't have. And this isn't a message for the pastors, and it's not a message for the worship leaders. So you're not signing up um, this evening. I hope you don't uh, think that we're wanting you to sign up to become part of the harbor or part of a certain denomination or religion. Man, you get to sign up to be a son and daughter of God. You get to have the DNA of God. You get to sit with the Father God, and he pours vision into your heart. And then you don't have to respond to what you see. You can respond to the vision from the Holy Spirit. See, vision and sight are two very different things. Sight is just what you're looking at. Vision is what you're believing. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, he said, they were asking him, hey, what do we have to do? All these questions in the most simple way Jesus could put it. He said, hey, stop trying to do all these things. Just believe. 
It's that simple. Just, just believe. He says, faith without works is dead. What is faith? It's believing in what you can't see. God wants to expand your vision. Gratefulness is attached to your vision. See, grateful, it's not from the outside. It's from the inside. Gratefulness is an inside job. You know what's so awesome about gratefulness? There's nothing more disrespectful to the enemy than having a heart that is grateful in the face of circumstances that would say otherwise. There's, no, there's nothing more disrespectful to the circumstances that the enemy's trying to sink you with than, than to say, oh, no, I don't have to respond to those things because this might be what I see, but this is actually what I hear. Man, God is always, I, I think so many, I always look back into my life and I think about how many times I've complained it, uh, when I've come up against setbacks when God's saying, hey, that's actually a set up. You know, I've found what's so interesting is you don't get to see a miracle until you need a miracle. But I wonder how many believers, if you're anything like me, we just complain through all of these problems and God's saying, I'm trying to give you a softball. Oh, you can't handle it? Of course you can't handle it. Welcome to my faith walk. Welcome to the promises I want to give you. Welcome to the life I want to give you. If you find yourself in a situation where you need God to move, he's saying, I can finally show you that I am faithful. God doesn't want to just move on the edge of your ability tonight. He doesn't want to just move congregationally in your life. He wants to move specifically and personally. See, gratefulness there's nothing more disrespectful to the enemy than having a heart that, that in the midst of the circumstances, we don't acknowledge the enemy, but we acknowledge God. That's why God said, that's why David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David was acknowledging, oh, there, there are enemies here, but actually God prepared a table. Do you know there's a different kind of sustenance that God has for you? There's a different kind of provision that God can only give you when your enemies are around. Hey, are you surrounded by enemies? You're right in the center of God's will. Oh, man, that's hitting me right now. Okay. Wow. You know, um, I had a, a really um, awesome mentor in um, Bible college, and this, this guy was uh, this southern uh, preacher and just, a, just an incredible pastor, and he shared a story um, with uh, the student body uh, at one time, and he was talking to us about this woman who used to uh, come to his church, and this woman um, was just like a faithful, faithful woman of God. Like she, she'd been with the church for so long. She was always serving. Um, she was always there. She was, she was just doing uh, what God called her to do, um, always just, just like grateful and encouraging people. And uh, she had this uh, son that she had actually raised in, in the church, and, um, and this son um, had made some decisions that had put himself in a really, really difficult situation. He basically decided one day, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to walk with God. I kind of want to do my own thing. And um, it was sort of known, uh, the word got around churches because of different things this, this son was involved in. And um, this woman, um, she had raised this son from like, she had raised him in the church. She had raised him to serve God. She had raised him to honor God. And if maybe you're a parent here um, tonight and you've experienced that before, there's really nothing more heartbreaking than, than when you see something like ha that happen. And Pastor Adam knew that she was going through so much. And uh, that Sunday she came in 
And um, he, he said that the, when she came in, he said, I, I have never seen somebody praise more. I've never seen somebody more, be more grateful. He said she walked in and she just people were asking her how she's doing. She said, man, God is so good and God is so faithful. And she just she was just the same person, but it even went aggressively up. And Pastor Adam talked to her because he wanted to make sure, hey, are, is everything OK? Like, I know this is going on. And she said, oh, yeah, this this might be what's going on. But see, the Lord gave me a word for my son and if, train up a child in the way he should go he won't depart from it the Lord told me this might be what he's doing but I see what God's saying and she said I don't have to praise based on these things I know that God's going to do it so why would I waste my time having a conversation with the devil when my God's saying hey I'm creating a testimony out of this testing process man you could give it up man See, she wasn't blind. She wasn't saying that this wasn't happening. She wasn't, she wasn't ignoring the issue. She, was, she, wasn't, she just wasn't agreeing with what she sees. She was agreeing with God said. It's not about blind faith tonight. This isn't just about, hey, because you know what blind faith means? It means you're attaching yourself to something that, that you don't know or something that's not personal to you. See, you're not supposed to do this from the outside in. You're not just supposed to pretend that everything's okay. But God has a word for you in this season of your life. Man, God has something that's more powerful than what anything that you could see that he wants to go on the inside and work onto the outside. Man, all the testimonies of my life have come from a place of lack. All the testimonies of my life have come from places of deep disappointment. Maybe you're here and you're like, oh, well, that might be good for you, Ben. Man, we have all gone through things. This isn't a message saying, hey, um, your, my issues are worse or your issues are worse. It's not, man, we could, we could talk about issues all night, but, but at some point we need to say, what about Jesus? What about God? What about the Father God? How much he loves you, how much he cares about your life. He asked his one son. Man, God has a plan for your life. You might think that it's a setback, but this isn't just preaching or like a, a cool thing to say. It really is a setup when you're tapped into the word of God. God has a specific word for you. Yeah, and it's congregational sometimes, but man, it is personal for you. The reason why Pastor Scott's always talking about getting away, being with Jesus, it's not because we just want to be a church where we do our devotions. It's because God is real and alive and his word is living and active. And you can't live off Sunday, but you can live off Monday when you're with the Holy Spirit. It's not about blind faith. It's about saying what God has said to you. Hey, if you have your Bible... You can up, open up to Philippians chapter 2. If my voice just goes out in the middle of the service, Scott, you could take over. <coughs> okay. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Because um, tonight, what I really don't want you to do is just take my word for it. I don't want you to just hear my opinions or things about those uh, things or, or of that nature. Man, I totally believe that you can find everything you need in the word of God. You can find everything you need relevant to what's going in your life. Um, in the word of God. So um, Philippians chapter 2, I want to give you a little bit of context because I'm really a visual learner. Very, uh, I very rarely can I just read something, man. I have to look at the big picture. Um, but so what was happening in the church of Philippi is that sometimes we read these books and we think that, oh, this is just, you know, a generic book that somebody wrote a long time ago. No, this wasn't a book. This was a letter. What happened, what was going on was this was a church that the Apostle Paul had planted. And um, it, it happened in the city of Philippi. And this letter was, was the first letter of two letters that he wrote to these churches. And he was kind of the overseeing pastor. 
he, he, was, um, he was pastoring all of these churches from afar, but what he would do is he would write a letter that was specific to these churches, giving instruction uh, of, of what it looks like, like to love Jesus, what it looks like to serve Jesus, but it was, he also brought correction, and he also spoke love and life. So these are like really personal um, church letters that Paul's writing. And why that's important is because the church of Philippi wasn't just like the Harbor Church of 89 North. No, this, this church was birthed in a culture that was anti-believers. It was anti-Christians. So like this church was under such aggressive persecution that, that they were being sought after by the government at that time. Like the persecution just started to really ramp up. Like people were getting pulled out of their homes. Paul was writing to a church that, w- that wasn't even really supposed to be meeting. This was a high-intensity letter. So you have to think that when the church of um, Philippi got this letter, they were really attentive. They, they were like, man, what is Paul about to say? Because we are going through hell right now. We're going through a fire. Have you ever been in a really rough time? You come to church and you're like, God, I need a word from you, right? Okay, maybe it was just me, but I know other people do do that too. So, but th- these people, man, they needed a word from Paul. And so Paul is speaking to an issue that they're having. And this was the issue that they were having. There was so much pressure on the outside that it was starting to cause dissension on the inside. There was so much pressure that was going, going around on the outside that there was, there was starting to be disunity, that, that, see, thankfulness and gratefulness was starting to be missing because, man, there was so much stress and anxiety, and there was arguing, and there was complaining. So Paul speaks to this church, and, and, and they're like, what do we need to hear? This is what he says, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Great. That's, really, that's what we needed to hear. He, he starts with that. He says, hey, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Man, if I'm the, the church of Philippi, I'd be like, wow, really, Paul? <laughs> what, that's what you're telling us? Do you know what's happening on the outside? Do you know the things that are going on in my life? And I think... So often when it comes to us in our relationship with God or even our relationship with the local churches, sometimes I think we, we, we think that, okay, th- God is just trying to correct my behavior. But what's so important about this is the next verse. Paul says this. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then he says this. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And this is what I want you to catch tonight. As you hold firmly to the word of life. As you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. See, Paul doesn't just tell them what to do. It's predicated on holding on to a word. Paul doesn't just tell them, okay, you're facing an issue or a problem. Stop complaining. Stop arguing. Stop fighting. See, God isn't, tonight you might be here and think, okay, what's the bad thing that I need to stop? But see, what Paul was saying is, he's saying, hey, the only way that you could be changed is if you're holding on to the words. See, the problem is we start with the words, but God is concerned with the heart. And I think sometimes we think that that church is, is like pretending. 
Sometimes we think that, man, if I worship harder or, or if, I, if I give more or if I, um, how do I, but, but what Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, you know what, you, how, you, how you speak to each other, the gratefulness in your heart, what it really is, it's not an accusation that you're not grateful enough, you're not doing things enough. He's saying the level of gratefulness on the inside is a thermometer to your spiritual state. He was using the outside to show an issue on the inside. Man, maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, it's, it's been really uh, difficult to be grateful or, 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 or thankful in this circumstance. And, and sometimes I think when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on an issue in our heart that um, we, we think that God's trying to embarrass us, we start to identify with our shortcomings. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit will never expose something in your heart without the intention to heal you without the intention to grow you. He doesn't show you deficits to show you who you are. He shows you deficits to show you who you're not. See, Paul was saying, hey, if you're having trouble with this, what, what you need to remember is don't just do it on the outside. What, remember the word that God spoke to you. Remember the things that God has done in your life. And I feel like I was here tonight to tell somebody, hey, remember what God has said over your life. Remember in the midst of whatever trial or whatever hardship, and so often in my life, man, I, I can see that when my praise dries up, it's because it, it's what's affecting that is there's an area in my life that I don't believe in the goodness of God. There's an area in my life where I'm, opposite, where I'm, I'm, I'm operating from, from a disappointment or when I'm operating from, from a place where, where, where maybe life has kind of broken me, and, and sometimes God is showing me the deficit on the outside to show me, hey, I need to heal that on the inside because I don't want fake praise. You can be honest with me. See, gratefulness is not based on what you see, but who you hear. You know, when I was um, kind of younger, like 13 or 14, I, I grew up, um, in, in the youth ministry here at our church. And our, our church at the time, it was not the Harbor Church, but it was called Lamb's Chapel. Any Lamb's Chapel people in the house? No? Okay. All right. Yeah. So um, I, I was kind of a troubled kid, and so my mom wanted me to go to every youth group thing all the time. So, man, I know all, all about, like, all the, uh, the youth group activities. Um, me and Scott used to get into so much trouble back then in these youth group things. And the funny thing about um, youth group was, man, youth pastors, they would always do this thing where, like, we would start um, the service with, like, a game but they would, like, relate the game to, like, a spiritual thing all the time. And, and, like, it was just, like, they'd literally be like, okay, kids, we're playing dodgeball and just nail us with dodgeballs and be like, see, dude, sin will find you. It, it'll find you, okay? And then I grew up and realized, man, these youth pastors were just bored and they wanted to whoop some kids. And, um... <laughs> But, but, man, we used to play these, like, dumb games um, that, but they would try to bring some spiritual significance to these things. So um, I remember there was a game that we played in camp, and um, uh, how this game worked was there was, like, a line of kids that would line up, and we'd all get blindfolded. Already you know this isn't going to end well. <laughs> and so we get blindfolded, and uh, it was a race. <laughs> and so, um, so basically there, it was like an obstacle course in front of you, and the, the, p the point and the premise of the game was um, the blindfolded kid has a partner, and the partner has to lead that kid um, to the end of the race. And whoever uh, got to the end won. And so what I realized really quickly is that there are uh, two things that need to happen for you to be good at this game. Um, one, you need to be a good listener. 
Like, having a blindfold, it didn't matter how talented you were. It didn't matter how athletic you are. As soon as you took the sight away, it didn't matter about how, how well-equipped you were. It just, all that mattered is you had to be a good listener. But the other side of that was you needed to have a good partner. And a, a, a trustworthy partner, a partner who, who wouldn't want to lead you in the wrong direction. Unfortunately, my partner's name rhymed with Mott Kandowski. And um, it was funner for him to see how many holes in the ground I could fall into than actually finish the race. And I'm going to forgive him at the end of this. Pray for me. We're working through stuff. But, 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 but what was so interesting uh, uh, about that, that game to me was that, you know, it didn't matter how gifted you were. It didn't matter about the things, and it didn't matter how athletic you were. As soon as that blindfold went on, the, the, the teams that won um, those games were always like these like sweet little girls who were like super direct and like gave so much clarity. Like, okay, step over this. And man, it hurt our pride as like men to be like, oh man, they, they just whooped us. But the reality was, it wasn't anything special about those people. It was the fact that those one person was listening, but there was a partner who was trustworthy. And I wonder how many of us are so gun shy when it comes to following God because we've listened to the wrong voices. Because we've allowed the wrong thing to speak to us. Maybe you're here tonight and you put your faith in a person or you put your faith in a church or you put your faith in a situation and it's, it's ended so tragically and now you get to a place where it's so hard to step out in faith. And, and here's the reason why it's hard to step out in faith. It's hard to step out in faith when we don't know God well. God doesn't want you to just, um, uh, to just trust a religion or a process. The reason God invites you to a relationship, relationship with himself is because the more you know how much God loves you, the more you know how much he can be trusted, the more you know that y your life, it wasn't made by you. It was made by God. He has a plan that's so much better. He has a way for you. What Pastor Scott just spoke on, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It doesn't say part of your heart or some of your heart. Unfortunately, that's not how this thing works. God says, give me your whole heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will direct your path. Man, gratefulness comes from, from not what you see, but realizing I maybe I can't see, but God, I know that you see. Maybe I don't know, but God, I know that you know. And then we realize, man, I need to get with Jesus. I need to hear Jesus. Man, the times I've been most grateful haven't been the times when things have been going well. Because maybe you're here tonight, you're like, man, things are going super well, and it's really, really awesome. How many people know sometimes it's easy to not be grateful when things are going well? Gratefulness is not connected to your promise coming to pass. What if we realize that it's not just about the promise, it's also about who you're becoming in the process. And that just happens when we say, yes, Jesus. See, all this, this whole message, I think gratefulness can be like a cute little thing, but what it really is is it's an invitation to be tapped into a deep relationship with God. And here's the amazing thing, man. You don't have to do it through a person because you can do it through Jesus. And he loves you. He has a plan for your life. He wants you to be grateful and peaceful and joyful even in the middle of your tragedy, even in the middle of your disappointment. What if we stopped pursuing the symptoms and started pursuing Jesus? I want to invite the band up here tonight. And um, if you have your Bible, you can open up to 2 Kings chapter 5, the last 
story that I want to share with you tonight. When it comes to being grateful, when it comes to being thankful, when it comes to receiving the promises of God, there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 5. And I want to give you a little bit of context here. That the, the, in the Old Testament, if you've ever read the Old Testament before, the Old Testament is always focused around the Israelite people. It's always focused around the chosen people of God. And, and, and they're sort of an image of, of who God calls us to be. And it's these people that are following Jesus. And very, very rarely does the script deviate from that. Very rarely does it go into somebody else. But there are pockets in the Old Testament where all, all of a sudden there's an outsider and there's a focus put on that outsider. And this is one of those rare moments in the Old Testament where, where the writer um, in First in and Second Kings, he's focusing on the kings of Israel and he's focusing on the kings of Judah. And he's talking about their great accolades. He's talking about the great things that they've done, and he's talking just about, well, this guy, and then he's talking about some of the evil things they've done, and you're kind of stuck in the story, and I've read uh, through First and Second Kings. I used to love those two books like more than anything because they were like adventures and really exciting, but this story always threw me off because there, there comes a point where, where the writer just deviates, and he brings up this guy, and there's this commander in Second Kings chapter 5 named Naaman. And why he's interesting is because Naaman's not an Israelite. In fact, Naaman um, is in an opposing uh, kingdom. And, and the Bible tells us this, that Naaman was the commander of one of the greatest armies, the army of Aram. It was one of the strongest, greatest, most powerful armies. Naaman had accolades. Think of like the most successful person that you know, like somebody with a celebrity status, um, somebody that, man, when you get on their Instagram, you look and like, man, this person's life is awesome and everything's going great. And, man, if I could just have a life like that, this was Naaman. And, and, and the Bible says that he had all of these things, and he commanded this huge army. Um, but, but the only problem was, while Naaman was a great leader, and while Naaman had built the life that he wanted, he had this skin condition called leprosy. It was a serious, serious skin condition. And why that's important is because back in these ancient times, man, the people, they looked at sickness as sort of a, a, a that there was something wrong with your heart. There was something wrong with you. They, they identified sickness with just such deep brokenness. And what I think is so, so interesting to me is, see, Naaman had created the life that he wanted. He had the uh, American dream. Like, he had built everything possibly that he could want. But, but there was one area where he couldn't heal himself. There was one area in his life where he couldn't, he couldn't fix himself. And, and see, he, he got every single thing he, he always wanted, but there was still an area that was broken. And I think this is a little picture into our lives that sometimes we think, man, when this thing finally happens, oh, man, I can be grateful when this happens or when, when this problem's over or when I get this career or when I get this spouse or when this situation works out. But, but the reality is, man, none of those things can solve the one thing that needs to be healed. Naaman had everything on the outside, but there was an issue that was outside of his control, and it was consuming him. The Bible says that it was even affecting his household, that, that he would come home from success and from all these things and just be brooding and upset because while he was successful on the outside, he was deteriorating on the inside. And he couldn't buy it, and he couldn't fix it. And the Bible tells us that there was this one young servant girl, and she was from Israel. And she's watching this happen, and she tells his wife, she says, hey, well, can you tell Naaman that I actually know a prophet in Israel 
and, and if he goes to the prophet, he could be healed. And see, Israel was kind of looked down on. See, see, there was a pride in Naaman where, where well, oh, I don't know about Israel. And he talks to his wife, and his wife's like, hey, just, you know what, just go to Israel. See this prophet, man. You've tried everything. See if this works. And he says, you know what, fine, I'll do it. This is what's interesting. Naaman, the Bible says he gets all of his horses, and he gets all of his riches, and he gets all of these great things. And he goes to the kingdom of Israel, and he knocks on the king's door at the palace. And he says, I am here, and here is all my things, and, and I want to be healed. And the king looks at him and he says, wait, what are you, what are you talking about? See, it, Naaman was trying to buy his healing. Naaman was trying to purchase from God what only God could do. Naaman was saying, okay, I'm going to come with all my stuff, and here it is, and look how good I am. Now, God, will you do that thing? Look how successful I am. Now, God, will you do that thing? And he realized that, hey, none of these things could fix what was wrong with him. The king says, Naaman, I can't do this for you. you got to do what God said. And so Naaman goes to the prophet's house, and this is what happens in verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash, them, wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. See, Naaman wanted healing on his own terms. How many times do we come to God and we say, God, I, I want you to move. I want you to do this thing. And then the Lord speaks and we're like, ah, that's not really what I, that doesn't really line up with what I want to do. How many times do we say, God, I, I, I want you to move in my life. I want you, and then the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something that's a little bit uncomfortable. See, Naaman was missing the point here. He was saying, God, I want you, but only if I don't have to look silly, only if it doesn't affect me on the inside. But what he wasn't realizing, to God, it wasn't about the leprosy. He could have healed it in a moment. There was a sickness in the inside of his heart that was crushing the faith on the inside. And it, the Bible says he goes away in a rage and one of Naaman's servants comes to him. He says, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman listens to his friend. And this is what I'll say in closing. This is what's so interesting. First of all, I think it's really important that you have friends in your life who will tell you what God said, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Man, I think the reason that we do this here at church, the reason we get together, I can't tell you how many times, man, God has put people in my life where, where instead of just being a sounding board, pe people have said, man, I love you too much to let you walk in this direction, man. Do you remember what God said? The servant says, Naaman, just do it. Just go back. And so Naaman, the Bible says this in verse 14. It says, so he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. What's really interesting to me about that story is the Bible says that Naaman then find, he finally gets to a place where he keeps his, he keeps his everything on the shore and, and he strips down and it's kind of embarrassing. All the, all the people that he brought are, are all around him. And what's so interesting to me is Naaman had to go into the water by himself. 
Naaman couldn't bring his accolades. Naaman couldn't bring his servants. Naaman had to leave all of those things on the shore, and he steps into these waters, and, and the Bible says that he goes down one time, nothing happens. Two times, nothing happens. See, why was Naaman doing this? He wasn't, he, every time he went over, he wasn't doing it because it made sense to him. He wasn't doing it because it was what he wanted to do. He was doing it because God said, hey, I have a word for you. Man, God might give you a word for you that looks a little bit different than what you might expect or think. But, man, when you, there was nothing more powerful in that moment. When Naaman started dipping down, he wasn't just dunking in the water. He was dunking in faith. He was dunking in what God had for him. He, he was realizing, hey, I'm going to keep showing up. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is just keep showing up. Keep coming to God. Keep reminding him of his faithfulness. And he's dunking and he's dunking. And then the sixth time, nothing is happening. And, man, I'm so grateful that Naaman didn't stop on six. I'm so grateful that Naaman didn't look at his skin and said, oh no, it still hasn't happened. The only thing that caused him to go under at seven was because God said he would heal him. And the Bible says that Naaman dunks under and he comes up and this is what it says, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. You know what's interesting about that? God didn't just fix his flesh. He didn't just bring it back to normal. He totally and completely restored it. If you will take God at his word, he's not going to just make your marriage a little better. He's not going to just cause your life to be a little bit greater. He has a restoration plan for your life. God wants to totally restore the dreams in your heart, the visions in your heart. And the very last thing I'll share is Naaman's reaction is so interesting. Verse 15, the Bible says, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, and he stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. You know why that's interesting? See, Naaman, his response to being healed was to offer up a gift. He wasn't genuinely grateful until he was healed. See, that gift that he had, he was trying to buy his healing before. But when he had gotten into the waters of faith, see, what's really interesting is every time he dunked, God just wasn't healing his skin. God was healing his heart. And instead of trying to get God to force his hand, he, he didn't say, hey, I'll do this if you do this. No, he came when he went God's way. And when he allowed God to heal him, the natural reaction was, God, you can have this. You can take this. See, man, if you knew how much God loved you, surrender would be so easy. If you knew how much God had a plan for your life, surrender would take no time. You know how quick, how many times in my life I've, I've said, man, God, I, I wish I would have just said yes sooner. Because behind every surrender from God is a greater breakthrough and a greater yes from him. Behind every closed door, there's always been a gigantic open door. And see, God's not just looking for people to sign up for a feel-good thing. He's saying, I want a radical, faith-filled life where you are not going through your own doors. You're going through God doors. Gratefulness comes from a heart that's healed. And I wonder tonight, and I really felt like this strongly on my heart, I wonder how many of us, we operate from a place of being disappointed with who God is, 
or disappointed with what life has thrown out at us. And maybe you're here and, and you're like, man, yeah, I, I keep getting encouraged in these messages. But, but man, there, there seems to be a disconnect. I want to encourage you tonight. God wants to go into the deficit because he wants to fill you with his peace. He wants to fill you with his joy. He wants to resurrect dreams. His word might be a little bit different, but that's because his life for you is way, way better. It's way, way greater. God wants to resurrect the things on the inside. Hey, can you bow your heads with me in this moment? If you're here tonight and you just feel like, Ben, there's an area in my life, there's a wound in my life, there's a hurt in my life. Or maybe it's just an area I just don't believe God in. There's an area in my life I don't know what to do with. The good news tonight is you can't do anything. All you can do is invite the Holy Spirit in. The Bible says that when you invite him in, man, he will soften your heart. He'll trade your heart of stone. He'll give you a soft heart. I just feel like God wants to resurrect dreams tonight in somebody's heart. God wants to resurrect not just sight. God wants to resurrect vision. God wants to plant some faith, some fresh faith, not yesterday's faith. He wants fresh faith for you tonight. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hands all over this place. Thank you. Don't worry about who's next to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, I pray for every single hand that's raised in this place. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for new life. God, I pray you would breathe new life right now in Jesus' name. I cast out all fear. God, I cast out all heaviness. You have been given these awesome, awesome men and women of God a spirit of fear, but a power and a love and of a sound mind. Lord, I pray right now that this would be a week of divine intervention. This would be a week of new hope. This would week of be a week of new hunger for your word. This would be a new week of new hunger for your presence. God, I pray right now this would be a week of your promises fulfilled. This would be a week of hearing you speak in a new way. Jesus, we give you every corridor of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, can you stand to your feet with me tonight? How many people are grateful for a God who keeps moving on our hearts? keeps moving on our hearts. I'm going to invite you just to lift your hands. Jesus, right now, God, we give you every corridor of our heart. Lord, we open up wide and we say, God, we can't do it, but you can. God, we can't figure it out, but you can. No matter what the situation, God, we might not know the end of it, but you do. And if it's not done, God, if it's not good, it's not finished yet, Jesus. So we put our faith, Lord, not in what we see. Tonight, we put our faith in what you say. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.